It's an exciting day for a couple of dusty muffins. We have a very special, special guest. I'm Penny Legate. I'm Julie Blackbow, and I am really excited to introduce our guest today. David Sabi is a man who defies description, defies labels, impossible to put him in a box, and impossible to introduce him. If you've lived in the Pacific Northwest, you may have seen his name on construction sites, but he is much more than the buildings he builds. He calls himself a boy from Burien, which is a suburb of Seattle where he grew up. And he said he was a kid who only wanted to do was be a football coach. <laughs> well, his life went in other directions and he does pretty much everything, but he still considers himself a coach. David Sabi. Hello. Good morning, ladies. Hi, David. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for inviting a Burian White Center guy that <laughs> has an operating engineer's card and a carpenter's card. So this is really fun. And I love the two of you. I mean, you are great, great people. Thank you. Oh, thank, thank you, David. Thank, thank you for having me. You are the CEO of a large company, but I love your motto, doing cool things with cool people. <laughs> We're going to end up doing three different podcasts with Dave. We're going to start with what Dave calls, I call it the revisioning the healthcare system. But Dave, you have a different name for this. It isn't the healthcare system. This is a disease care system. You go there when you're sick. Why don't we change the whole emphasis to keeping people out of the hospital and begin a childhood at the earliest possibility to begin to optimize our health so we don't have to go to the healthcare community. And this isn't new. I mean, there were indigenous tribes that made mom and dad purify before inception so that the egg and the sperm would be perfect. And then there were indigenous families that made mom ban baby to body for two years, not setting down baby so that it got nothing but safety signals instead of trauma signals in an early brain that is is being programmed. So why don't we start in grade school at a minimum and create a sport called health optimization? I mean, we can do football, basketball, and all that stuff we want, but why don't we make a sport of teaching kids early on to optimize their health? I mean, it makes no sense to me that we don't. You are rethinking and creating not a health disease system, but a, a new way of thinking about it. How do we do this? Well, you know, let's let's go to the art of war because incumbent institutions have lots of barriers for change. Dirty little secret about human beings is we're really good at change, but we hate it. And so we push back again. We have all the tool sets to change, but nobody teaches us how to change at scale. And so we're victims of programming from epigenetics, from our experiential time, we've been programmed, but maybe those programs aren't much good. And I think both of you have seen the backwards bicycle video, mm -hmm. which shows you once an idea is hardwired into your brain, as David Eagleman at Stanford would tell you, that once it's hardwired, it's very hard to change. And as you saw on the backwards bicycle, it took him eight months to learn how to ride the bike the other way. If you go to Alcoholics Anonymous, you know, that's a two, three year program to break a habit that's been hardwired by chemistry. And so they have a saying, you know, people, places, and things don't go to people, places, and things that might reintroduce that software because it's buried deep in your hypothalamus and, and, and deep in your memory bank. And so it's easy to fall back onto these situations. 
from early on on the Serengeti, defaulting to the negative was a very safe way to go because human beings don't have lots of defense mechanisms. And the first time you saw Mr. T-Rex, it probably, you know, if you went and said, oh, Mr. T-Rex, I'm so happy to see you, not a good outcome. So what we don't realize is human beings have been programmed, and this is a software program, We've been programmed to default to the negative on any change, and we don't even know that. So when you start talking about changing something as big as healthcare, or I don't call it healthcare, I call it disease care because you go there when you're sick. When you start putting together a program to change disease care, it has to be a major, major platform program. And so guys like Bezos that changed retail and Elon Musk that changed automobiles, you can't take on these big incumbencies with a picket charge. You got to do flanking movement. I believe is you got to do Petri dishes and you got to show that what you're doing is superior to what they're doing. So we've started something we call OptiSpan, which is optimal health span, optimal lifespan. What if we started, like I said earlier, from baby, <laughs> And we trained mom to be the best mom she could ever be. And mom bought into it. And then we followed through life and we optimized baby with only positive safety signals going into their brain and into their memory bank, as opposed to trauma signals. What would that baby look like? What would that brain look like when we defaulted to the positive instead of deposit to the negative? And one more point, and I'll stop. <laughs> America has a pandemic of anxiety right now. Yeah. You know, and depression and fentanyl deaths and all that, and we're all screwed up and blah, blah, blah. No, if you go to Ray Kurzweil, MIT, the singularity, he has a logarithmic slide that shows that every time there's a technological change, that our lives are improved. The problem with that is that human beings, as I said before, hate change. America is changing faster than any other country in the world because of technology and other things. If we don't train our kids how to adapt to this change, which is good for them, they default to the negative on everything. And so it creates more stress instead of trading the other side of it, which would be happiness and joy, because it's going to improve your life. But we don't teach that. So. No, we don't. So are you talking right there, David, about the fact that social media has not, nobody's working with kids on how to manipulate or to use social media to their benefit, as opposed to the detriment of many, so many children who are depressed because, you know, there's bullying on social media, there's being left out on social media, where you know, everybody's looking at their phones instead of talking to each other across the table. Is that what you're referring to? Is that we're not teaching them how to navigate social media correctly? Let me answer it roundabout for a second. We turn on TV and you guys were TV stars. Um, <laughs> and, and, and when you're sitting in your house, you think TV's free, that, that you get this for free and Google's free and so on. But no, it's not. There's advertising, advertising. And there's, you know, there's a, a new term called influencers. I hate that term. I, I mean, do too. Oh, give me yeah. the, give me the facts and I'll make the decision. You're not going to herd me or influence me. In Zuboff, a professor emeriti at the University of Harvard wrote the book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism. All of these media systems are using through psycho-marketing, psychological marketing, are using the tendency to fault to the negative, 
to hurt us and nudge us to do things that we wouldn't do. Take a bottle of Coca-Cola and drop a nail into it and let it set for a day or two and then pull a nail out and see what it looks like. I mean, yeah. let's look at the inside of your stomach after you're addicted to caffeine and sugar. You know this term, if it bleeds. It leads. Yeah. If it bleeds, it leads. That was in television. Right. But David, but David here's, the, here's the thing. You know, we're, we have poor nutrition. We have a too much manipulation coming at us from all different arenas. This is a systemic problem. And we are a sick country. Stress being the illness we all share. We are all stressed out. So where do we start? Isn't that a paradox that yes. human beings have never lived this good before, but we're losing 100,000 kids and, and young adults to fentanyl every year. And we're one of the worst nations in the world, the richest nation that's ever existed. And we have the high maternal morbidity rate yep. Shocking. and more children dying. And I mean... This just makes no damn sense. I mean, it isn't one thing. It's a bunch of things. It's a bunch of things. But it all starts with bad software. And so I like to think we have these great brains, but we've got bad software. And, and one of the things I always ask people, how much time do you spend thinking about what you think about? <laughs> who? <laughs> how, how much time and, and, if, and if you did an inventory how much time you spent thinking about things that you wanted to think about as opposed to other people hacking your brain i mean where's the cyber security where's the brain cyber security platform to protect our kids' brains because that's what happens is we're programming kids from an early age to do a bunch of bad stuff and let's let's take on nutrition just for a second if you even eat a good diet now, if you let's say, um, you know, it's got a lot of kale and a lot of spinach and a lot of greens and veggies and whatever, do you realize that all that stuff has 50% less micronutrients and phytochemicals than that same stuff 50 years ago because of the agro-industrial complex is now using synthetic fertilizers to take away the microcosial fungi and the subsurface biosphere that created this wonderful, you know, uh, virtuous cycle uh, where plants, I mean, you go to a, any forest or jungle and these plants have been living in the same place for a thousand years. I know, Dave, but should I jump off the cliff now? I mean, honestly, <laughs> all right, what does Dave do to stay Julie, safe? And, Julie, and, and, and <laughs> never, <laughs> wa never waste a crisis. I mean, this is the best time ever. <laughs> the best time ever. What do we, what do people who are listening to this, Say, well, what can I do? What are some basic changes I can make in my life starting now? The first thing is just simply, who are you listening to? Yeah. What, you know, there's an old, old computer deal, garbage in, garbage out. Right. Who are you listening to? Mm -hmm. So a little insight. When I was 13 years old, my high school football coach at Highline by a man by the name of Mr. Lou Tice, who is a behavioral psychologist oh. and taught health, comes down to the locker room. I'm a 13-year-old kid and he introduces himself, says, Dave, have you thought about playing football at the University of Washington? And well, ahead. But then the next thing that came out of his mouth, and remember, I'm a 13-year-old kid. Then he said, Dave, have you thought about a scholarship at the University of Washington? Then he said, have you thought about a scholarship anywhere you want to go in the United States? And he says, I've seen kids like you. If you do exactly what I tell you to do when you come to Highland, I guarantee you, you'll get a scholarship wherever you want to go. And then he'd come back about every 30 days. And what was he doing? He was hacking my brain. 
with, with, with good stuff, dropping yeah. a little piece of software. Yeah. And then as David Eagleman at LiveWired at Stanford would say, he habituated that piece of software and pretty soon it became who I was. And so I turned down a four-year ride to Dartmouth. I had appointments at the Air Force Academy, blah, blah, blah. So the issue is we got to define what is optimal health and then we got to set a goal to that's what we're going to do is we're going to change the world. We're going to create a pandemic of optimal health. We're going to create a whole new way of thinking. And we're going to deposit this little piece of software in as many people as we can. And we're going to create a force, a movement that will only move towards optimization of our health. And that's three parts. That's mind, body, and spirit. It's it's all three. You can't divorce any one of those pieces. They all have to come along together, but it all has to do with software. Yeah. Okay. I, I couldn't agree with you more, but let me ask you a question about that. So we, um, as, as youngsters, get messages that we are unique and amazing and can do things we never dreamed of, as you said. We instill that in our children, and we try to optimize their mental health by connections to the mother, et cetera. But there's an outside world that's leaning very heavily on us with wars and lies and treachery. And Julie and I talk about this all the time. How do we live in our own little cocoon of life without all of this heaviness? And we really fight depression and anxiety because of things outside that we can't control. So how do you deal with that? We have to reinforce and enforce optimism. And it's hard sometimes to push back against all the negativity coming at us all the time. So let's watch our self-talk and let's not say it's hard to do. Let's say it's it's easy to do and we're going to get really good at it. We're just not good at doing what you just suggested. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be really careful about how we talk to ourselves. We can oh, do that's this. Im that's important. I, that, I, I just had a light bulb moment. How we talk to ourselves. So, so your subconscious is talking to you a thousand times faster than your conscious is. I mean, we can handle about 200 bits per second or whatever else of data. That's why you can't do your cell phone and drive at the same time, et cetera, et cetera. But our subconscious, who we are, who we believe ourselves to be, which is a software program, you have to act in accordance with your subconscious. And once your subconscious believe something to be true, whether it's true or not, if you believe it to be true, for you it is. And you can't talk somebody out of whether you're a lefty or a righty or or whatever in the hell you are. If you firmly believe that's who you are, you can't even hear the inputs that w might get you to the middle or something more logical or, or whatever else. And that's the way our brains are put together. So we have to really be careful. And that's why I emphasize the piece you really have to spend time thinking about what you think about but you also need to spend a lot of time learning how to control your own self-talk bezos I, I always giggle about and use this as an example i mean he was a quant and he knew nothing about retail and i and i was wondering what was going on in the jc penny boardroom and the sears and roebuck boardroom you know in 2007 when jobs put the cell phone to the internet 
And then by 215, it, it, it became ubiquitous and Bezos moves from selling books to retail. And I, I wonder what they were saying during that whole time, what their self-talk was and, right. and so on. Yeah. And so the issue gets back to, we can change anything. What's in this tool set? Most people have no clue how powerful this is, but because of depression, and we know about our limbic system, that uh, our fight, flight, or freeze system, that as soon as you have any stress signals, that limbic system starts to perk up. Prefrontal cortex, where all creativity is, blood starts draining from the prefrontal cortex and starts going to muscles, adrenaline, cortisols, and so on. So the more stressed you are, the harder it is for you to think about anything creative. So we live in a stressful world, so we don't have a bunch of creative thoughts. I always wonder what would happen if, a, if, if we had a child that never had a stress signal and developed optimally the optimism creativity side, what would we come up with? Healthy people. Yeah, you'd come Happy up with- Happy people. How do you stay away from the news of, of what's going on in the world, or do you? What what do you listen to? I don't. Yeah, fair. Okay, that's a no. good- Penny yeah. and I have talked about this. We don't watch the news anymore. It's not. It's I, I call it the bad news. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. Penny and I you have two veteran journalists of 40 years each, and we cannot, we don't watch the news anymore. It's precisely why I agreed to come on to this, because you two can be poster child for this movement, because you have been in it, not your fault. And, and the behavior of our parents, you know, in Exodus, there's a, there's a line that the sins of the father are visited on five generations or so. Right. And I could show you how methylization on the cytosine nucleotide locks down histones. So certain expressions don't take place. There's way more science than we need for this conversation. But, but, <laughs> you lost but, me. But, but yeah, I can show ahead. you physiologically, if, if your parents were psychopaths or whatever they were, it wasn't their fault. And it was somebody's fault before. And, and who we are isn't our fault. But as Mr. Tice would tell Mr. Sabi at a young age, Dave, now that you know this, you have a burden to go out and preach this. In the, in the great moment, I put up a slide with me and Pete Carroll and Nick Saban. What do we have in common? We were all tutored by Lou Tice. Mm. And they're all champions in their field. What I did is took what I learned there and said, this isn't venue specific. We can take this idea platform and we can take it anywhere. We can use it in anything. We can use it in development. We can use it in healthcare. We can take this line of thinking anywhere. And so let's do it. Yeah, we hear you. And Penny and I, in our podcast, we never talk politics. Mm -mm. We do not do anything. We don't even refer to big disasters that are happening in the world because we just don't. People, because, there's too much of that out there already. Right. We're talking and, an alternative to people lifting them up and making them feel better about something or not, not feeling alone in yeah. how we feel. Yeah. David, I want to bring up something that I read in, in this research for this topic. I lost a daughter to an opioid addiction. Yep. And I was stunned to find out that the United States consumes three quarters of the world's opioids three quarters of the world's opioids. And it's apparently related, uh, as this article went on to say, to the pain, the level of pain in the United States. And I'm guessing that's not physical pain, that's emotional and psychic pain that, that 
they're using opioids for, because that's what my daughter did. She had various uh, mental health challenges and self-medicated. So, so, so call, call it software problems. Yeah. Okay. Software, software, mean our brain. She had software. She had software problems. She didn't have yeah. physical problems. She had software problems. And, and so I'm going to keep emphasizing this is software. We naturally don't want depression, but we've been programmed to default to the negative. We've been programmed to worry about change. We're in a world that's changing at an accelerating rate. We're richer than any place else in the world. There's a lot and of people, sicker than any place and, else in the world. And sicker. But the rest of the world can't wait to see us tip over. So there's people making a lot of money selling opioids and whatever else. And if you got to the source of where these strategies are coming from, our kids are vulnerable because they haven't been taught how to deal with the change that they're dealing with. We don't teach that in school. Solomon Khan, KhanAcademy.org, the first, you know, uh, one world schoolhouse. Page 76 of One World Schoolhouse, Solomon Khan said, where did K through 12 curriculum come from? Where did public education come from? He does his research and he ends up with Johann Frick, who is the psychologist of the day, and Wilhelm II, King of Prussia. And basically the conversation goes something like this. Basically, if you want your 15-year-olds to die for a king they hate, you got to get them young and you got to train them in a way that they will only will what you want them to will. Those are exact words. You have to basically program them in a way that they will only will what you want them to will. If you want your kids, your women to work in the coal mines and to be your clerks and whatever else, we got to basically dumb them down early, put psychological framework that they can only will what you want them to will. I'm just going to interrupt because we need to yeah. wind up this portion of the, the first part of our podcast with you. But to be around Dave Sabe, as Penny and I have had the privilege of, of doing in person is to be around an eternal optimist, a creator, a man who believes we can all be better. Correct, Mr. Sabi? Isn't that who you are? I believe we can all be exceptional. And so whether you're an evolutionist or you're intelligent design, God didn't make any dummies. And um, the problem is, is we've screwed ourselves over there's so much more in here that we could do, so much cool stuff we can do together. Remember, a rotten apple in a barrel pollutes the whole barrel, but the opposite is true. You put positivity, positivity creates positivity. And you know from sitting on a horse, horse is looking forward, ears yeah. looking forward, but right. the horse knows whether you're afraid or not. Oh, yeah. Or, or whether you're confident. Where's that communication taking place? Mm -hmm. Positivity is creative. They can read your mind. It's infectious. It's, it's infectious. And we have to change our messaging to ourselves and think about what you're thinking about. I just want to tell a quick story. When Penny and I spent some time with Dave earlier this year, we were supposed to have an hour meeting with him, but three or four hours later, we got back in our car. <laughs> and I have to say, no, no, no I mean, Penny and I, this never happened to either one of us in our lives before, and we are old broads, believe me. We got into my car and we could not drive. And we just yes. sat there. We just sat there. And we said, what happened? What just happened to us? Where <laughs> were we? we? In the presence of this man. I don't want to hear this old broad thing anymore. I want to hear about this young, innovative world game changer, world changer. Yeah. yeah. Why well, an experience? We're not, we're not done yet. So no. we're going to wind up this first podcast with the incredible Dave Sabi. We'll be doing two more 
podcast with him on different subjects, but it's all related, I think. Thank you, Dave Sabe, a visionary. Thank you, Dave. It's our honor to have you on a couple of Dusty Muffins, and thanks for all your support, too. Yeah, so I'm not a visionary. This is the way we're meant to be. Hey, if you have something to say, please do so in an email. Send it to couple of dusty muffins at gmail.com. That's C-O-U-P-L-A Dusty Muffins at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. I'm production director Clem Daniels. <laughs>